Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of SourceMind Asia, co-host of the Main Channel Podcast, and the host host of the SourceMind Asia YouTube channel. Of course, back with another one. Uh, in this episode, I think the main topic we're going to start off with is about payments into China. We can we did a short form podcast for the Discord chat, but we wanted to kind of dive a little bit deeper, and then we're just gonna shoot the shit, really. All right. Q intro. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. So yeah, on the Discord episode that we did, which is a shorter one, I think it was like less than 15 minutes, we kind of just were laying out a conversation that I had with um, our one of our business partners, uh, well, I would say, would you call it business partners or one of the companies that we work with, rather, that help us do payments into China. It was a kind of an insider conversation. It was like, I don't, I don't want to text about this. I don't want to email about this. Let's jump on a call. <laughs> and I was like, all right, so if that's the case, then let's talk on Zoom because let's not talk on WeChat. And you um, kind of just broke down to me what was going on in the current state of, of payments in China. It's actually been, since we did that recording, that initial recording, it's been like, what, like two, three weeks? Yeah, I was going to ask you how it's been over the course of the last two weeks compared to that time. Have you still been experiencing delays? <laughs> No, it's significantly better. That's the reason why okay. I, was, I was thinking about it. Like what he said was true. He said that give us like two weeks, uh, right. maybe. A, and then I was estimating a month. Um, but yeah, I mean, the last couple of payments have been prompt at one time. So, so but overall, we've noticed that this has become an ever-increasing problem and issue. Longer delay times, more challenges to getting money into China. Yeah. So we're not going to like rehash the exact same sort of structure that we did in the Discord. In the Discord, I actually went sort of line by line in terms of, because I took a ton of notes from the call that I had with the guy. And um, I kind of, me and Mike and I went line by line and discussed each of the individual points. In this particular podcast, I think we just want to talk about more of our general perspective of payments and the overall climate and things like that not to be doom and gloom, but to make a long story short, uh, essentially what he was telling me is that, you know, there's been a lot of rules and regulation changes. I mean, I've, we've experienced it in the past couple of years, even in Hong Kong itself, mainland China is taking more of a stronghold in Hong Kong, applying more of their policies in Hong Kong and stuff like that on the banking and business sector. Um, they're trying to tighten up on uh, tax evasion, the, which is like such a common thing with businesses in China. Um, I mean, businesses around the world, really. <laughs> Nobody wants to pay taxes. So, but yeah, it's it's very prevalent in China. And um, so they're just kind of, and then of course, there's a general aspect of China always wanting to control the uh, currency exchange. Um, so of course, because the US gained some strength in the last couple of months, and then the, the Chinese yuan went down. That was a cause for concern for for the for the Chinese government, and uh, they wanted to restrict the 
flow of currency as they usually do to to kind of control the pricing. So that's the sort of general overview. Uh, besides that, I would say that there's maybe a little bit of an aspect of wanting to make it difficult for certain companies and weed out certain businesses from from China. We've seen this going on since like 2017. I think we really noticed the start of that. Forget what the acronym is, but where they started requiring that that they have like a, the U.S. government now has access to your Hong Kong accounts. Uh, I don't remember the the acronym for it, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. And I remember actually that time that time period was funny because it was like uh, we were you know we have these WeChat groups with foreign business owners and stuff, and there was like a whole and not just foreign business owners, but just people working in China and stuff, expats. And um, there was a whole freak out like, oh my god, by December thirty first, twenty seventeen, if you haven't done X, Y, and Z, like. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna get in trouble with the Chinese government, or you know, your bank account's gonna get shut down. Which is an overreaction, but overall, yeah. things have yeah. steadily moved in that direction since since yeah. that that time period. I mean, when I first got to China, it was so easy to set up a corporation in Hong Kong and not have to deal much with any of the ramifications of doing business in, in China, right? Could just yep. take money in Hong Kong, and that's pretty straightforward. Now that's considerably more difficult. I know that they did. It wasn't as quick as as we thought it was, but they did close down a, a, a ton of um, you know the foreign created LLCs in, in Hong Kong, and I think that has only accelerated over over the course of the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, knock on wood, we've been we've been lucky that they haven't. I mean, HSBC hasn't shut down our account or anything like that. Well, yeah, that's a little different situation. I mean, I mean we did get all audited. verification. Yeah, think of all the verification processes we've gone through, and you know, we always file on time. We're so up to date on all of our licenses. You know, you didn't have to be as proactive prior to to 2017 and up until today. Yeah, I mean, okay, just another example is like this happened. I think since our last podcast. No, no, it was before the, the last podcast. That we did. But I mean, Guangzhou changed the regulations where if you're a foreign-owned Wufi, which is wholly foreign-owned entity, if the, the, for lack of a better term, the CEO, the, the owner of the company is a foreigner, then they have to like go to the bureau and register some new document or whatever it was. And if they're not there, then it was like, all right, I have to like, it was like such a complicated process. It's like I had to send some documents somewhere and all this craziness. And they just came up with this. Like it was like, what, you know, they just came up with it out of nowhere. And then I had to pay, we had to pay a bunch of money for this whole process to work. And it's like, man, like <laughs> they're just like, what, what, they're just trying to make it difficult <laughs> for it own businesses. It's like, Oh, you, you want to be registered here? Okay, jump through another loop. I already jumped through a bunch of loops for you guys. Like, no, no, jump through another we've been, one. We've been jumping. Yeah, we've been, we've been out here jumping through loops, man. Listen, you put the name of the podcast, Jumping Through Loops. What did, in your conversation with this guy, what, what did he forecast for the future? What are they seeing as upcoming difficulties? Well, yeah, we don't, we didn't want to make it do, uh, doom and gloom, but like he's, 
cautiously optimistic. I think his thing was like, and I, I think you have to look at like business in China like this in general, because if you look at sourcing, you look at many different aspects, things change, and then you have to learn how to uh, work the system. I mean, we talked about this in, in webinars and stuff like that, right? Like with, with working through fact, with factories and stuff. So his idea was that, okay, right now maybe because his company is not as large as some of the other payment processing businesses, he doesn't have as much sway with the banks. Also, they lost about 40 to 50% of their business due to the pandemic. So they're not as attractive as a, as a client for the banks. So the banks are not willing, not as willing to like help him deal with the reg regulatory issues. Um, he was just like, we're, they're moving to work with smaller banks and smaller territories, uh, smaller provinces and cities, because those smaller territories don't necessarily get as much foreign exchange. So it's just adapting with the situation. It's kind of similar to the fact that when factories, when prices started to, rental prices started to get higher in the big cities, what did the factories do? They started to shift out of the big cities. Yep. Yeah. It was like, it might be Guangzhou trade, Guangzhou textile factory, but it's not really in Guangzhou. It's more in the outskirts of Guangzhou or it's an, it's in, in an hour outside of Guangzhou. There's really no factories in the major cities anymore. Very few. Yeah, right. And if it is, it's, it's right on the fringe of the city or outside. You know, you'll find some factory, factories in Ponyu, for example, but I wouldn't really consider Ponyu a Guangzhou, part of the Guangzhou city center. Mm -hmm. Certainly not. It's pretty much just an adaptation, but I think the the main thing in terms of my assessment of that situation is we have to, you have to have diverse ways of paying into China. Actually, very uh, funny thing is uh, transfer wise, now wise, I still, I, I don't know why they changed. Why did they change the name? Transfer wise is a much better name. I don't know why they, why did they do this? This is complicated now. It's like wise. It's like, nah, just, anyways, but wise made an announcement yesterday that they are doing like multi-payment processing to China. So like if you want to pay into a Chinese account, you can now pay through either Union Pay, like a bank account or WeChat or Alipay. Before you could only pay directly into a bank account or I think you can mm. pay through Alipay. But you can compare the rates. So basically it's like you could look and say, okay, it's going to be X percentage cheaper if I pay through union pay or whatever. And they said like, you could save 50% on your payments into China. So I was I'm looking at that email, literally cool. that email was yeah, yesterday. And I was like, oh, okay. So if WISE is able to do this, that means that like, again, that's being cautiously optimistic. It's, it's more about the sway of the company. Like WISE is a much bigger company than you know, uh, uh, the payment processing company that we're talking about that's uh, based out of Hong Kong. I think Wise is probably like a multi-billion dollar company at this stage. So maybe Wise has more sway and is able to, to, to deal with the government in China a little bit better and, and get some deals, you know what I mean? I know what I, I've talked about this quite a bit, but um, I use World Remit 
for a lot of my smaller payments into China. It works as a charge against my credit card or, or whatever bank card I'm using. So it limits it to a certain amount. I think I can send up to like 1500 US dollars at a time, but it's a similar situation to that. You can choose between um, sending to a Chinese Alipay account or sending direct to a, a Chinese bank account. Yep. And it just works as a, a, a card transaction here, which that's, I found is quite convenient for these smaller payments. And, you know, a lot of times we have these sample orders that we have to collect multiple products, multiple small payment products. So really big nuisance now that both of us can't enter into China, you know, before it's really easy for us to pay um, our WeChats or our Alipay accounts. But um, uh, do you have functioning WeChat pay at this point? I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I think I still do because really? I, I checked like, okay, so this is prior to when WeChat forced me to <laughs> forced me to change my account from a mainland account to so basically right now there's wow. there is WeChat and there's Weishin, right? So yeah, yeah right. What do you think that was because they recognized that you were outside of China at the time? Yeah, because yeah, they recognized that I'm outside of China based off of geolocation, and then also I changed my phone number on the account to my my Philippines number. But that's never been an issue in in, in the past because when I was traveling, I would change my number to my Philippines number, my Zambia number, U.S. number, whatever. Like I'll just change it because yeah. I knew that if I need to receive like a text message or whatever, log into my WeChat, mm-hmm. then I had to have that on. But when I changed it the last time, WeChat was like, oh, you're outside of the country. Okay. You know, you got to have a mainland China number to use uh, Weixin. Yeah. You know, Weixin so you is sp- what Chinese people call WeChat. So yeah. that's the, the Chinese name yeah. for it. So that's what Rico's explaining by the two different accounts. If you set up your account in China, it's a Weixin account. If you're setting your yeah. WeChat account up outside of China, it's a WeChat yeah. account. WeChat account still functional, can still communicate just the same. Yeah. It has some features, but far limited features compared to what you see on Weixin, which you can really only access if you're in China and you establish a Chinese bank account. You tie a Chinese bank account and a Chinese mobile phone to yeah. that account. And that Since you can't get in China anymore, that's starting to become almost it's like, yeah it's a it's a catch it's a catch 22 it's like okay you need to be in china to use this i was like but i can't go to china or you need to be in china to uh, verify this information with your bank account but it's like i can't i can't go there you know uh, that's well, how, too, that's how too my bad. account was i i mean i functions off my wasting for forever you know that was yeah. my life really for a long time did everything through that application and then yeah at some point during the pandemic, I was no longer able to access my wallet. They put me through a bunch of verification information. And I certainly entered it in correctly, but excuse me, entered it in correctly. But still, the end result was you have to come to a physical bank to get this yeah. straightened out. Yeah. Once you can't keep your SIM card going for whatever reason, you know, it's expensive to at least even keep it on. And yeah. Yeah. They, they shut us up. All this to say is like a, it's a slow squeeze of trying to push out, I guess, the foreigners from the country. Yeah, not but at that, this, but they're, they're their own, you know, people that are 
domestic China too. Like they had to go through way more verification process, put all of their accounts. Oh know, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't even, I can't even begin to imagine what it, I mean. I remember my um, my ex girlfriend at the time when when the pandemic hit. And she was just explaining to me about these like biometric passports, essentially, right? That I mean, let's call it what it is. Like nobody's gonna say that, but it's a biometric passport. You go and you want to get into your condo, your apartment area. You have to show on your WeChat, like scan the QR code. It shows who you are, your age, your health, your medical history. Uh, where, what was the last country you traveled to, and all this stuff. With all the conspiracy <laughs> theorists predicted, man. And I was just like, when she told me that, she was saying it like kind of matter of fact, like, oh yeah, no, you just scanned. And then I was like, man, well, we're in a George Orwell <laughs> novel right now. Like, what is going on? Like, you guys are out here with the biometric passports? Like, <laughs> I was like, here, oh, that, that doesn't that doesn't sound like fun to me. <laughs> it doesn't sound like fun to me, man. Like, uh, yeah, like just uh, just to get into my apartment uh, block, I, I'm having to like show you my medical history. Like that's what's going on and in the streets. Then you throw in the COVID testing into all of this, and it gets even. Oh, the crazy. mandatory. Oh man, okay. So if you're <laughs> watching this right now, you should have seen the Michael Michelini. If you haven't seen the Michael Michelini podcast that I did with him, go watch that podcast watch and listen to the podcast he was telling me about this he was like he had to do a mandatory covid test like it's like they have to do it every so often right um and it's just one of those like they just mandatory multiple times a day depending on where you are depending on where you are and depending what you're doing so like in his situation because his kids are going to uh going back to school like physically going back to school you know like he has to do it like every I don't know. So I think it's like once a month, like every two weeks or something like that. And he was just like, yeah, I got the mandatory COVID test today. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like, like he's there. Like I have to go. And I was like, oh Jesus, man, this does not sound fun at all. <laughs> like, it does not sound like a good time. That's the world that we live in. All right. So, okay, let's just switch to a more positive yeah, yeah, yeah. perspective. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Yes, a lot of things are fucked up right now. But the reality is, uh, in terms of SFA, we've had uh, two of the best years that we've had in the business ever. So, you know, while it's weird that like we haven't been to China in the past two plus years, um, from a sort of business and financial standpoint, things have been going up. So... Uh, I mean, what that says to me is that at the end of the day, you know, as I've been saying, and I'm, you, you guys have heard me say multiple times in the podcast, is like China isn't going anywhere. You know, it's going to be a long time before people actually shift away from China. And I think even COVID, having COVID happen is even probably even push that back further because. Let's say like uh, Apple or Nike or whoever was like, oh, we're going to build a factory in Indonesia. Then COVID happens for a year and a half, two years, and people are not working, you know, quarantines and all this stuff. What does that do to your construction project? What does that do to like, you know what I mean? The infrastructure that you're building. Exactly. Exactly. So, 
you know, China's still out, still going to be out here for a while. Um, Just have so, to be ready for, for whatever cards are dealt. You know, you said that our two years have, have been quite good, but that wasn't without a lot of volatility and yeah. having to adjust to the times and, you know, yeah, we got I lucky. Think we've, yeah, for sure. And I think we've talked about it on the podcast already, but you know, our business was a little bit more catered to uh, a smaller clients, you know, startup companies who need assistive services with product development, you know, help finding factories for, for the first time, working through design issues with those factories and getting their businesses off the ground. And while we certainly still are able to cater to some of those clients, it's been increasingly more difficult and we've had to transition, uh, you know, to, to diving deeper into our mid to large size clientele's uh, businesses a little bit more. They need a lot more help because they can't, you know, do their spot visits or their employee who is coming and spending significant time in China can't do that anymore. So mm -hmm. it, it's required transition. You know, what you were talking about at the front of the podcast, but these challenges that you have to just kind of figure a way through them. This it's the same thing for the evolution of our business over the last couple of years. Yep. So, I mean, it's not, um, it's not the end of the world when it comes to that. It's just more about adapting and uh, adjusting to the times. This would be more of a question for you, Mike. Like it would be, I mean, generally I understand, and I think the world understands that there's a certain aspect of people blaming China for COVID, right? There's even before that, there was the issues with China and the US with the trade war and things like this. What is the consensus? What is the vibe? that you're feeling in, in, in the States right now? That's For anybody that doesn't know that Mike is currently in Chicago. I'm in Chicago. That's a, that's a tough question because this is my, this is my space. This is what we do. These are the conversations that we're having all the time. So I am in, you know, groups, I'm in different platforms where they're talking about these issues and those issues are front and center. So I get a little bit more of the, uh, you know, I guess you could say anti-China vibe from some of these platforms that I frequent and try to, to skim information off of. But if I'm not paying attention to these particular message boards and I'm not involved in these groups and I'm just out and about, Overall, people here don't don't care. They have they have their own their own issues, their own problems. You do see stories about it, you know, in the media. Some things that are, that politicians are saying, but you know, I've started to um, get more acclimated to living here. Started to branch out, starting to form some strong relationships, starting to get uh, a little bit more involved in in business ventures uh, out here than than certainly than I was before. And, you know, I just don't sense a strong anti-sentiment or, or big pull. You know, I think we've seen a, a growing percentage, a slow growing percentage of people that ask us if we have the ability to source outside of China and they don't want to source inside China. They would prefer to try a, a different location or at least initially before they, you know, understand what, what it takes to, to source somewhere else. But overall, I think people are still business as usual, you know, and, and the most important thing to them is, you know, the operation of their business. And a lot of times that means cutting costs. And a lot of times that means, 
you know, China already has the competitive advantage in that particular field. And yeah, I think the short answer to your question is I don't feel a huge shift. Obviously, things are more difficult because you can't get in out of China as you could before. But I don't sense a major shift simply because um, I don't think there can be, as you, as you, you said a couple of minutes ago. Yeah, I mean, another aspect is like, just thinking about it, maybe not the Apples or uh, Samsungs of this world, but like, you know, the companies are, are, are selling on Amazon and have their own e-commerce stores uh, that are doing millions. Like, if they don't have offices in China and they don't have staff in China, it's like all of a sudden you can't go there. You can't send, like you said, you can't send that guy, that executive that's going to oversee a production or something like that. And then at the same time, you're, you're thinking like, oh, we want to start producing in other countries. But your production line has been going through China for years and years and years. And you have a system there. You know, the factories that you work with, you, know, you understand all these things. To develop a new production line in a different country during the pandemic I mean, it's fucking impossible. <laughs> it's not even, you know, it's not even a question. Like you have to extremely you know, difficult, maybe impossible, and that's just yeah. for the industries where there's even options in other yeah. places. You know, for a lot yeah. of industries and a lot of stuff, there's not even a viable option to produce yeah. outside of China. So yeah, I mean, I think it's tough. I think it's tough. So I think a lot of people kind of reconciling that, you know you're still gonna have to work with china like even even some of the some of the clients that we've spoken to recently where they're they're talking about starting their production like maybe their first production or so in the us or in europe and then they want to shift over to china because it's like it's just going to be cheaper they can you know do things a little bit more efficiently things like that you know well, one benefit i've seen over the last couple of years with our business is i feel like the pandemic, number one, and then also number two is we've noticed a lot fewer factories are willing to engage with us in product development. Mm-hmm. They're just not interested. Something that you know still has to work through the design or it's going to take three to six months to get to the point where we're even considering an order. They don't want to even deal with it. So what I've noticed, a lot of the incompetent factories or... Um, not all, but a great majority of the incompetent factories or factories that we're having issues with at some point or another have been, have been weeded out. You know, I feel like the people that we work with on a consistent basis are fantastic, you know, and they, they've adjusted as well as we have to this new environment where there's very little face-to-face interaction, something that we heavily relied on before. And, um, you know, they've, they've done a good job transitioning with us and being accommodating to whatever it is, Zoom meetings or, you know, having to accept any format of, of, of something. Um, that's been one of the pleasant things I'd say of, of, of this big change in, in our business flow, not just with, you know, payments, but all aspects of, of sourcing. Okay, Mike, if you're a company that's in the low seven figures to high seven figures or even eight figures, 
but you don't have a physical presence in China. What I mean by that is you don't have an office and staff in China. Uh, how how are you managing your mass productions right now? Considering everything, not just like from an, oh I can't go to the factory and do an inspection, or I can't go to Canton Fair, but also the shipping and the planning of productions and you know making sure you have enough inventory, all that stuff. You know, that's a nuanced question. It depends on the client and what their product is and what the operation is, what their current, um, where they're currently producing all these things factor into to my answer. But, you know, if you're not using somebody like us, if you're not using a sourcing agent, maybe you have a personal connection, someone you trust in China to kind of be the point person and handle things during the Chinese business day or, um you know, you're just heavily, heavily, heavily relying on on the factory and then occasionally connecting with um, other companies to help that process through. So I would say, you know, you're heavily relying on the factory to communicate all details and to manage production, but you're also having a third-party QC come in to check the products, verify quality, specs, all those things. Um and, you know, maybe with a really solid logistics company as well, that's a little bit uh, flexible. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'd be interested to ask some, some people who are in that position how they've transitioned. You know, I imagine if they have a really good relationship with their factory and they spend a little bit more time trying to communicate with them during China business hours that, um, you know, there'd be a potential to manage that but i think i think it would be tough without having someone on the ground i know that i know that we couldn't do it or maybe we could but it would be so difficult if we didn't have our our staff and you know people that we trust to to put eyes on these things and handle them in in in, in real time you know yeah because at the end of the day even though you might have a pre-existing relationship with the supplier um you know when things happen they might not give you all the information. And a lot of times the transparency comes from you being able to physically go to the factory and, and see what's going on. Yeah. You know? And we, we've talked about that so many times. So maybe it's not even them trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Maybe it's just something, you know, once you walk in there and you see the way things are flowing, you know, we, we, we relied on that so much, man. You know, not not that we were ever the point person at the factory and, and handling all the communication, but those those face to face meetups, those check ins were were critical. And oftentimes, well, I mean, we're still we're still doing it, you know. Yeah, of just, we're we're just not the we're not the people actually going to the factory. Right. So to answer your question, I think it'd be really tough if you didn't have someone that already in place that we could, um, you know, that we could rely rely on heavily. We've talked about this a lot on our on our Discord podcast. Uh, we keep calling it our Discord podcast or SFA Discord uh, because we haven't quite come up with, with a name yet for our Discord podcast. So on the Discord exclusives, we have been uh, coming up with a, a a raffle, a giveaway, right? So so we're having our our customers, our subscribers, to offer up quality names. We're going to tally a vote and. The winner, the person who gives us the winning recommended name, is going to get a, a Z kit. Mm-hmm. We're rocking right here, and it's a, a product that uh, my buddy and I started. He's a pro athletic trainer. It's a traveling physical training kit 
call it a, a prehab kit. It's got everything in there that, that you've already seen, the home workout tools, resistance bands, jump ropes, foam rollers, yoga balls, a wedge for you to work your, you know, your feet and your calves and your knees, and all designed by a guy who works with, with uh, pro athletes. But um, yeah, we're in the process of kind of relaunching and setting up a, a crowdfunding campaign this summer. So that's been, um, you know, that's something that's within the scope of what we do at SFA, but requires a kind of a different uh, skill set as well. So that's something that has been keeping me busy and, and quite interested. We just shot a commercial, you know, where, that we plan to um, split up into, into some ads as well as a crowdfunding campaign video for the product. And uh, we're going to relaunch this summer. So it's just something that's been on my radar. I've been working on a lot and it's pretty, pretty exciting. And we hope to share the campaign and, and the free kits for the, for the raffle winners with, uh, with our community in uh, the weeks and months to come. I just expand on the raffle side of things. It's, it's more like whoever comes up with the name, for the discord chat will be getting a z kit and i think well maybe not necessarily z kits every month but like i think we'll be doing a monthly giveaway you know surprises within our discord community discord you can be in the community for free but it will be limited but we have um, paid tiers as well we'll have the website link <laughs> i'm sure it'll be like searchmanuser.com slash discord pretty much so it's sourcefinancer.com slash Discord. <laughs> hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Main Cheddar Podcast. If you want to reach out to us, that's podcast at sourcefinancer.com. If you want to check out the show notes from the episode that you just watched, that's sourcefinancer.com slash made in China. And be sure to also check out our YouTube channel, Source Asia. All one word. Cheers.